Welcome back to How AI Built This, the podcast dedicated to data and entrepreneurial storytelling. As always, we're brought to you by Cathcart Associates, technology recruitment experts. So thank you to them. Today on the show, I'm speaking to Regina Berengoltz, Director of Research Analytics and Data at TV Squared, an Edinburgh-based technology company who are the global leader in cross-platform TV ad measurement. Welcome to the show, Regina. Oh, thank you very much. Happy to be here. I'm sure there's a snappier way of explaining TV Squared, but I quite like that it it kind of went across everything they do, uh, but we'll, we'll get back into that and you can tell me what that actually means. But yeah, before we jump into TV Squared and what you do now, we always have a quick kind of trip through memory lane, if you like. So you studied in Canada, right? Yes, I did. I am Canadian. so I, I didn't want to assume, but I was going to yeah. say, does that mean you were Canadian or did you go there to study? So where are you from? Uh, from Toronto. Oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah. So I've been there for the first Oh, I can't even remember, like 20 years of my life or something, <laughs> 22, yeah. And then when, where did you study? Um, so would you have heard of the University of Western Ontario? It's in London, Ontario, very creatively named. <laughs> <laughs> no? <laughs> I, I saw it on your LinkedIn, but I can't say I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah they're, they're well known in Ontario for their business program, uh, which is cool. actually where I studied and, and the program that I took. Yeah, I was going to ask, because when you look at your profile, there's a, a real kind of mix of, because um, you did a couple of degrees, there's the real mix of what it covered. So when you were doing it at the time, like what was the main focus? Yeah, so actually when I was in university in Toronto uh, at the University of Western Ontario, uh, I did two degrees, one in that honours business administration area, and that covered general business management, a little bit of analytics, finance, that, that some marketing, that kind of thing. But yeah. I also took a, a media and information and technology course, which is a little bit about the intersection of different media and culture and yeah, how, how the online media in particular has changed people's behaviors and the way that we interact with each other. So in the first instance, those don't really seem like they combine very well. But actually, when it comes to the advertising space and the marketing space and the storytelling space that data actually does live in, both of those have actually been a really interesting background to have throughout my journey. Yeah, I was going to say, so like, looking back, it is actually quite uh, the route that you took to get into data analytics actually does make quite a lot of sense, but maybe just not not when at the time. Studying. Yeah, when you were studying, it wasn't <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, I'm definitely going to be a data scientist. Like it wasn't like in your kind of crosshairs, but it does cross over quite well. Yeah, yeah, I would say that's exactly right. <laughs> nice. And then once you kind of had studied, I know you did a couple of internships as well, but you kind of started your career in Canada all around kind of marketing, consulting. And even now to this day, kind of marketing and data kind of go hand in hand like it's, it's a pretty obvious place to focus kind of attention with data yeah yeah that's completely right um and thing was at the time when I was working at that kind of marketing consultancy um we'd go in we talk to clients and the data that would be available to us for those clients was actually very minimal like they're large clients but back then there was really not a huge push to actually be collecting and storing and using large amounts of data, it'd be very small, kind of ad hoc, like here are some reports that we've kind of collected, tell us what we can do better here. Um, and I remember actually, we were able to help them quite a bit, even with that small amount of data, but I remember at the time being like, no, there's more, there has to be more, and I wanna know how to actually use that and and benefit any organization. So. It was a good experience, but it definitely is what kicked me off into thinking more about the big data space and the data science space. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And I always remember there was a guy that I've done a lot of work with that he went into a company and kind of reported into marketing mm-hmm. and he just chose a couple of like quick wins with small amounts of data, like what you just said, where you can actually have quite a big impact. Yeah. And his plan was that once he did that, he would kind of almost be trusted with the keys a little bit. So like once he'd done that, they would be like, okay, you can, you can go have fun now. Like do go, go get some more data. So I can, I, I can see how that would work, but yeah, it must've been a little bit tricky if, you've been asked to kind of use data or use analytics to help companies and if they don't have a huge amount available to them. Yeah, no, that's ex- that's exactly right. I mean, you use what you can because actually even having a little bit is better than having nothing at all and much better than working on tribal knowledge or just, mm. you know, qualitative thoughts that people have that aren't very <laughs> consistent. And I remember at the time feeling a little bit limited because I didn't I wouldn't even know where to start if I wanted to get more data or how to manage it or how to like even format it, right? Like I wouldn't have learned that in my background in terms of the tools available. And once you hit proper big data, the stuff that you're normally used to, like, (laughs) I mean, Excel is great for a lot of different things, but you're not going to be able to store like gigabytes of data on an Excel spreadsheet, even just to extract it. So that's actually what made me want to then go into a master's program to learn much, much more about that and, and how I can actually use that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And yeah, I suppose if if you ran into that first rule and they just yeah. said, here is all of our data and it was like terabytes of stuff, yeah. they'd like, make use of it and just be like, uh, okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, I want to, I definitely want to, but have no idea how. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose... Even now, like some of the courses you can do, like the the Code Clan people and other mm-hmm. other providers like that, you get people coming straight into the world of data who just like they've got the tooling knowledge straight away, yeah. which will put them at a huge advantage to people that have came into the world a, a few years before, where like that was maybe the the really tricky part. And now people are kind of almost not ready made. That makes it sound easy, but like that part of the job is easier now, right? Like kind of having access to tools and training than than maybe when you started it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Honestly, the the way that I sometimes think about it is my background is very different than basically my entire team's background, which, you know, a lot of them come from PhDs or they come from the technology space where they're already used to using a lot of the tools. They've already learned, you know, Python and R and and how to use all of them. I like I came from the other way around where I'm like, I know I want to use this, but what's missing is the tooling. And so the learning for both myself and anybody new coming into my team is, uh, has been quite different in terms of what needs to be uh, brushed up on. Yeah, no, that's fair. And then in 2015, you started at Clear Returns in Glasgow. So two things, Clear, Clear Returns being a relatively small startup, how did that mm-hmm. come about? But also Glasgow is quite far away. Yeah. Um, how, did that, how did that come about? <laughs> fair question. So uh, the master's program that I was talking about was actually in Spain. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I made a jump from Toronto to Spain specifically for that program, spent a year there. And actually, I remember it was my data ethics professor. I was just chatting with her about the space and like what it means, what she's learned. And she recommended that I speak to her friend, Vicky Brock, who started Clear Returns in Glasgow. So I had, uh, I think, one or two Skype calls with Vicky, and it seemed like we would get along quite well. And what I learned from the program would actually help her out. So after, I just moved on over to Glasgow as their data scientist at Clear Returns. You obviously just missed the cold of Canada and like <laughs> sick of all the sunshine in Spain. So I thought you'd go to Glasgow. So you uh, laugh, but that is exactly it. It's freezing in Toronto in the winter. It's boiling hot in Spain, at least in Scotland. You know, it's rainy, but I know that it's rainy and I know that it's mild and I know what to expect. 
it's really nice. It's kind of a middle ground. It doesn't get really cold or hot. No, fair enough. And uh, I remember, so I think I'm right in saying you brought Adam Shroka into your team, right? That was one of the kind of when you were growing the team at Clear Returns. So he mentioned to me years ago that Clear Returns was actually a really cool business solving like a really interesting problem, but was maybe even just a little bit too early. Like it started trying to do things almost before they could really capitalize maybe. I don't know if if too early was the main problem. In my mind, it's always been um, when you're trying to sell in a product to an organization, uh, you need to know who in that organization is actually going to care about the product to invest the time and invest the embedding of it amongst that organization. And the problem is it took too long for us to figure out who that group of stakeholders was out of the company. So like the, the product itself is about stopping people from returning products, right? And one of the things we learned is people do it on purpose. Um, it's not like something went horribly wrong with the product and they, and they didn't want it anymore. It's more like, oh, that's a really pretty dress. I want to wear it for a special evening, but it's also really expensive. So I'm just going to wear it and return it. And, you know, you don't go to a sales organization and say, oh, we have a way to stop people from buying your product. <laughs> they're not going <laughs> to like that. You don't go to the logistics department because they're not going to have the power to stop a sale or to stop it getting sent out of the the warehouse. I mean, that's not going to go over well for them. And so who do you talk to? You have to talk to someone at a much higher level, basically at a strategic level to change how an organization is measured in terms of success. And that was, I think, too late of a learning, but also really difficult to get to those higher level stakeholders. Yeah, it was almost like the problem was solving something that people almost wanted to like bury their head in the sand a little bit like remember one of the things that adam had said was like it was you could like stop sending customers like discount codes when they were going to buy anyway or they always return stuff and it's kind of like who do you tell to stop sending the discount codes to like i can see why that would be really tricky um and i suppose it's a really common issue in in kind of startups and technology that the product's actually very good it's just who needs it the most yeah um and yeah maybe it was just like the chief financial officer or the ceo right at the top who you really need to say like listen we can save you like a lot of money yeah yeah exactly that's what we had to learn i think (laughs) yeah i I suppose you you probably learned loads just by being there and also i didn't know that people wore like dresses with a label on and returned it until i met people who (laughs) actually do it yeah Um, like i didn't know that was a thing and then i found out some of my friends have done it but i wouldn't have any names it was always really fun i remember speaking at certain conferences every time i would say all right i know this happens who here does this behavior and every time, like a good chunk of people will raise their hands. Even some men will raise their hands and be like, my wife does this. <laughs> and then it's just, it's actually super common behavior here. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And it was it was more common than I thought. Also, I know people who do the opposite end of the thing where they buy something that doesn't fit and it's just still in their wardrobe. Like mm. they're just like, oh, I can't be bothered returning it. So you're like the ideal customer. Yeah. Um, they buy it and just can't be bothered. But yeah, I mean, looking back at it now, you must have learned loads working in a kind of small rapidly evolving growing company where data was at like the absolute core of it yeah no absolutely so I think I started there as their only data scientist and actually like only real data person everybody else was I mean everybody else it wasn't a very big company but there were a number of developers there and then a product person the CEO that kind of thing Hmm. 
Yeah, I was there on my own trying to build out these customer segmentation models for quite some time, working with the developers, learning so much about that process and how you communicate with developers or how do you communicate with people who aren't in the data and how do you actually explain what it is that you're doing and what you're finding and how it's relevant to the business and to a customer and then growing that team as well. I think by the end of my time there, uh, the team was like four people maybe, of which one was Adam. <laughs> so that was really fun. So we've got you to blame for Adam being in the data industry. <laughs> um, I'm going to say yes, but as long as he keeps giving me credit, if he does the good stuff, then I'm fine with that. But we'll just ignore it whenever he causes a ruckus somewhere. <laughs> oh, I'm, not, I'm not sure he'll do He might do it, actually. We'll, we'll wait and see. Um, <laughs> and that kind of takes us, uh, and as, as, as like I said, a, a whistle-stop tour, but kind of August 2017 where you joined TV Squared. Um, you mentioned about working with the business and other people not in the data. We'll come back to that because I think it's a good point because it was on your LinkedIn a couple of times as well. Um, but yeah, so you joined TV Squared. What what kind of made you want to join them? And for anyone that doesn't know what TV Squared do, what how, how do you best explain it? Uh, so TV Squared essentially started off as a Okay, I'm not, it's not going to make it any easier, but a TV <laughs> advertising attribution company. So we're just trying to help people understand the impact of their TV advertising. So if I spend this much money on a TV campaign, what do I get in return in terms of number of people visiting my website or how many sales do they buy or how many people actually go to a store because they've seen this ad? So it's how effective is your advertising and if it's not, what should you be doing to make it better? Do you advertise on different channels or do you advertise uh, different kinds of creatives instead? Um, and so it's looking at all the kind of slices and dices of data that we have to be able to give that insight. And since then, it's not just TV, it's grown into uh, also digital advertising um, and different kinds of, of measurement opportunities as well. Nice one. And I take it it's like everything from like, the slot that you choose like the time of day the the exactly, programming yeah. the channel and people might think like that seems quite niche but i think it was something i learned that i can't remember who from actually the amount of money that goes through like mm. tv advertising like if you want to get a good slot when the final of love island's on or something like that yeah. like it's it's a lot of money yeah absolutely like primetime tv slots like i think in the u.s thursday nights at eight o'clock like those are huge, like hugely expensive slots. It's everybody. Oh, it's, it's not the Super Bowl where it's like millions, yeah. like yeah, for like for really like thirty cool. seconds of advertising. So like, you better know you're going to get a return on that. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and that's exactly what it is that we do. Um, and actually, COVID, <laughs> <laughs> so great. Um, actually, did some really interesting things to the TV industry because people were at home watching TV much, much more. Um, and so a lot of the other kind of work that we do is also understanding those viewership behaviors and that those viewership patterns over time. So it's uh, yeah, really interesting space to be in. And how easy is it for you to get data? So like on viewers, viewing behavior, results from an ad campaign, like some of it must be relatively tricky to collate. Well, some of it... Um, like we use like web tags on on brand websites. We do have data partnerships with with other organizations that are commonly used in the industry as well. So I don't know how tricky it is because uh, it is available. It's just how what kind of agreements you have, how useful is the data to your purposes? 
and that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, that's probably the big one is how useful is it, yeah. yeah. And I'm guessing anyone that advertises on TV or media could benefit from what you and the team are doing. That That's kind of the beauty of the cell. Like anyone yeah. that wants to use advertising should probably use TV Squared as well. Yeah, absolutely. The models that we build are applicable to any organization, any brand in whatever country. The whole point is we're trying to build a, a soft, like an analytic software product uh, that can be used by anyone very easily, very quickly in real time. So uh, I, I would definitely agree with that statement. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I'm assuming when you joined in 2017, it was a fair bit smaller than it is now. So what was the appeal again to join something where you could really like grow into something and, and now that you're director of research and analytics, but was that the path that you saw for yourself or did that happen along the way? Oh, I think that definitely happened along the way. I don't think I ever would have been able to plan for this. It's actually a bit of a funny story. When I first joined TV Square, there was no data science team. Like there was no structured team. And actually I wasn't even hired as a data scientist um, I was hired as someone that I forget the title, but had to deal with like client engagement. So someone who had to talk about the results and explain the modeling and be able to get clients to understand what it is that we're doing and how they can use that insight. So almost that translator piece, mm-hmm. uh, which was cool. And I was really interested in that because what I've learned at my time at TV Squ- uh, at Clear Returns was I really love data science. Like I really love using data to solve problems and, and working with those people, but um, I found that my real value was being able to actually explain what was going on in a way that people who weren't working with the data could ingest it and like understand how it could be used. Um, and sometimes that's not a skill that everybody has who works in data, which is why data teams are quite collaborative and have a lot of complementary skills. And also, to be honest, I don't really have the patience <laughs> for a lot of the detail-oriented work and the experimentation work that data scientists do. So I thought this was actually quite a good fit uh, in terms of attempting a new role. You know, that makes sense. And I suppose, like you said, you can complement that. So if your team have got like a PhD, couple of them have got a PhD background, then exactly. they're used to deep dive, let's get into it. Whereas if you can face off to client or the board or whatever it is then you can kind of use each other in in the kind of most complementary way and it seems like at clear returns and uh tv squared that data kind of runs those businesses as opposed to data as a part of the business if that makes sense so which must be quite nice from your point of view yeah yeah i think that's a really good way of of saying that it's we're building like data products or we're we're building analytics products that are sourced from data rather than doing something else where data kind of runs through the veins of the company to help the operational bits. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely happening now, but at the time, the core value of data was in those products to be able to provide the insight and sell to brands and clients. Yeah, no, I was with someone recently that just took on a kind of pretty senior role and he said one of the things that sold it to him was, that data was like data was the company as opposed to like he'd worked he'd worked at another like a compare the market type place I think it was one of those like big marketplaces Mm and data was like kind of important but like it wasn't really gonna like it it just didn't feel the same whereas like this company is like without machine learning and without data science they wouldn't have a company yeah yeah Um, which is why quite he really he was really attracted by that you mentioned the kind of data translation and I've mentioned it earlier, but a few times on your LinkedIn profile about understanding the kind of business side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, this comes up quite a lot in the show. And now that I've spoken through it, it makes a lot of sense. But like, do you think that's helped you 
in a couple of your roles where you've understood that quite early and like been able to talk to stakeholders of, of whoever they might be and kind of explain what you and the team are doing because you do see it quite often in startups they'll hire like one data scientist who maybe doesn't really have those skills and wants to go deep dive build a model like start getting really complicated with things but then doesn't really doesn't really come up for air to explain what they're doing almost yeah i think that business background that i started off with and especially my time at that marketing consultancy working with the partners directly and with clients directly has really helped me understand what it is a business actually wants and needs and how how they would understand something being told to them. I'd say I almost benefit from not having a PhD background because then I'm forcing people in my team to think about how they speak to me. Because if I'm that bridge, I'm not necessarily going to be able to understand all the, the maths and the details of what they're trying to tell me. But if we can bring them up a bit, um, to the level that I could at least understand it because I do have some of that background, um, then how would I then translate it up to the next level up or the layer up? That makes a lot of sense. And do you think then, and I've spoken about this, I think in the, the second show we ever did, I asked Adam this question as well, and I've not really thought about it a huge amount since, but is there a position, do you think, in a lot of data teams for a data translator or maybe a data business analyst like that was the that was the title i used with adam on the on the second show it's like someone that's whole job is they understand enough data science but they also understand maybe more business requirement and they can kind of sit between both and and help them join up because that can sometimes be the kind of blocker right Um, or, or would you think that is there not enough of that for that person to do Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. And I think it's probably very dependent on each company and how their teams are set up and how big they are and what it is they're actually trying to achieve. And I mean, personally, what I would really love to see is that skill set being developed in the data scientists or in the data analysts themselves. And it may not need to be, you know, perfect, (laughs) because, you know, everybody has their own skill sets. But if we can bring that skill set up to a communicable level, then I think that's actually better than hiring someone specifically just to do that. Because you're right, like, I don't know, they're not always going to be needed, right? Sometimes projects last a very long time, and stakeholders only really want to know what happens closer to the end. Yeah, Yeah, Um, that makes sense. We do, we have hired uh, someone who actually comes from the industry, almost like an industry consultant who works part time in my team. Ah, interesting. Yeah. And actually, what's been great about that is, I mean, Data people love having data. They love solving problems with data, finding what's going on in there. But without a direct steer of this is what's actually going to be useful for a client, you don't know if what you're finding is useful or not. And so what you have is this insight from this industry consultant who's um, saying, actually, when I was working here, these are the things we cared about. Or when I was working there, those are the things we cared about. And these were like the base level expectations. And it'd be super cool if we knew this thing. And so that helps the team, but also because she comes from that space, she's also able to communicate it um, to the, some of the rest of the business as well. So it's a few people with complementary, some overlapping skill sets that have that I think has made this team actually quite successful. Yeah, it's actually a really interesting way of approaching it because I quite often have these conversations with people looking to hire data scientists or, or data people, and some people get really obsessed with industry experience like they must come from tv advertising for example and like that that's cool if you really need it 
but quite often they just want it because there's a bit more convenience to it. Um, whereas if you work in like the shipping industry, rather than trying to pigeonhole a data scientist with shipping industry experience, yeah. find someone very good and yeah, have a consultant a couple of days a week that used to work or still works in that world. And yeah, they can tell you like, I wish we knew this yeah. or everything you just told us, we don't really care about. Like it won't really change my job Monday to Friday. Like that's a really interesting, it seems like a really clever way of going around it. Cause then you understand the industry, yeah. but you're not relying on a team of data scientists who have very specific knowledge around paid TV advertising. Cause like, yeah. how are you going to hire anyone? Exactly. And the difficulty is those markets are also mainly based in the U S like if, if you want to find someone with TV or digital experience, some are going to be in London, sure, but the vast majority in the US and you've got the time zone differences and then you've got, you know, if you're looking for someone really niche, they're also going to be very expensive. So there's a lot of factors to consider. So, yeah, this has been a remarkably uh, like excellent decision that we've made and it's really worked out. I like it. And then so you and I think all of the team are based in Edinburgh, is that right? The vast majority um, since lockdown or since COVID, um, we've been looking a, a little further away because the the need to be in the same office has, has gone away. So we've got a few more in England and just a few more around Scotland, but not in Edinburgh. Yeah, kind of if they had to come in, they could, but like it's exactly. not. Yeah, they don't have to be in Monday to Friday anymore. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And are quite a lot of your clients then in the States? Yeah, the vast majority of them. But we've got clients all over the world, so... Like literally almost any country you can think of, they're there. But the vast majority would be the US. And is there any difficulties with language on the platform if you've got customers all over the world? Does the, the models, does it not matter? That's just a really funny question. No, uh, I mean, for some countries, depending on who they are and what their requirements are, we do, we do translations. So we do have uh, the ability to change the language in that portal to uh, whichever one that you're looking for. So that hasn't actually been a... A huge problem at all that's really good because you can imagine like sometimes a product gets to a point where we'd love to expand this but we need someone that has the kind of localization knowledge or something like that whereas if you can just keep plugging and playing it everywhere yeah then you kind of want to winner really yeah i mean and that's exactly what it is like we've got time zones sorted we've got uh, language currency sorted it's very very easy kind of off the shelf kind of product nice that sounds yeah sounds great and it's cool that it's been built in edinburgh as well yeah um and then we've talked about the teams that you've worked on already but what about kind of building teams and being part of i mean obviously you've been recruited by a couple of people and now you've been responsible for growing teams as well is there anything that you've kind of learned along that kind of journey that sticks with you now when you're hiring or, or you wish you knew like a few years ago um i guess there are a couple of things um I think it's really important to know what you're actually trying to achieve when you're growing. So it's one thing to be told, oh, we need more data scientists. Like this has been so successful. Get more data sciences. Let's do the same thing. But but you might not always want to do the same thing. And actually the things you're trying to achieve for the business might not need more data scientists, but they just might need a different kind of data person. So actually my team right now has grown from being only data scientists to being data scientists, data analysts, and a data engineer, all kind of working together, which would be very different if I just followed the the general push of just get more data scientists. But I yeah. think this is a much better complementary skilled group now. Yeah, it's really funny, actually. It's just totally changed from like 
2016 or so where everyone was like get me all of the data scientists yeah. <laughs> and like everyone was scrapping and you would get phds you would get people with a few years like it was all just crazy and now when we get a client come to us saying could you find us a data scientist we're like oh that's quite nice because it's been so long where mm-hmm. everybody now wants data engineers data analysts and to build out like oh you said a more complementary team that it's actually like a data scientist is almost becoming like a rarer requirement, um, mm-hmm. which which I would never have guessed a couple of years ago. Yeah, I'm actually glad that's happened. I remember being really early stages of hiring people, uh, let's say even at clear returns. And like, yeah, data scientists were all the range, but nobody knew what a data scientist was actually supposed to do or how they were supposed to achieve it. And you have data sci- poor data scientists stuck as data engineers because the data just wasn't ready for them in any organization and I think it's taken some time for companies to understand almost the process they need to go through in order to actually effectively use this data. And at the first instance, it's the engineers, it's the analysts just to get that low hanging fruit that you talked about earlier. And yeah. then once they're ready to start using the data scientist. So I actually would be surprised if we'll see another kind of uptick of the data science, data scientist phase, maybe a little bit later on as more companies are more prepared to actually use them effectively. Yeah, that makes sense. I think also there was a real rush of like everyone wanted in on the action almost. So you've worked for data companies. So yes, they will need data scientists. I think there were some people where they just weren't data companies at all. And they just saw people doing stuff with data. So they wanted to like, let's jump on it and we'll hire Regina and see what happens. And so that's where it became a little bit unfair on a lot of people. Because yeah, they ended up being the de facto data scientist, data engineer, um, like analyst and sometimes software developer. Like it was just a bit of like, see what happens. So yeah, that is a lot trickier. And how has it been for TV Squared in general with kind of everyone going remote, like man- you for you managing a team remotely? Like, has that been a process that's been interesting? Uh, yeah, I think that's a good word to use. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, I think we've we've done a pretty good job as a company and for my team as well. Um, we're all naturally like very collaborative and communicative. So um, the only thing that changed was the the tool that we used to communicate rather than going into a room and a whiteboard. We now go into a slot, like a virtual Google Hangouts and draw something on a Jamboard or, or something. And um, the natural way that we want to speak to one another and collaborate with each other hasn't changed. It's just about kind of finding the tools to support that as easily and effectively as possible. I mean, some of the problems, like the team is a collaborative team um, and you want them in a room drawing on whiteboards and brainstorming. And so the company has actually done a really a wonderful thing where we do have some office space when it's legally allowed to be used. Um, and it's just for people who want to go in and there's whiteboards everywhere. So you can just say, yeah, I, me and my team want to go in on this day. Um, and use those whiteboards. And then, you know, we'll work from home however many days we want. But, oh, there's another brainstorming session we should do. We'll just pop into the office and do that. So um, I think, yeah, that move has been supported really well, actually. I think for data and technology teams, you've probably just hit the nail on the head for, like, what I think most people want. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're a data scientist in any company or a software engineer in any company, you probably want to sit down with your team and, like, brainstorm or have like an innovation day or an r&d day or or three days it doesn't matter but once that has been kind of like constructed then everyone kind of goes off and keeps communicating via all the different Mm -hmm. tools you can do so but kind of get your head down in in their own space and and get some work done Mm -hmm. um in that world and then come back 
and do another kind of brainstorm, another collaboration. Like, there's no reason why that style of work kind of can't work. But I think a lot of people we speak to, that's kind of what they want going forward. Like, people say they've got this like hybrid approach, but then they're mandated to be in Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's just yeah. like it's, it's actually not that flexible if you think about it. Whereas, yeah, doing like proper collaboration where like this team comes in. Yeah. So, so it doesn't all. It almost doesn't have to be a business-wide policy. It can be like Regina and the data team. We all fancy coming in. Yeah. So we're going to do that. <laughs> yeah, and everyone will be like, "Yeah, that's cool." Yeah, and then if we're lucky, some other people and some other teams will be like, "Oh, we want to join too." And then you can actually interact with people outside of your team. So it's uh, it's been really good because I think everybody misses that kind of interaction as well. So it's, it's a good space to be in. Yeah, I mean, I was saying to someone on, on a call earlier today that we only hire people with like no recruitment experience. So for anyone to join us to mm-hmm. not have office experience would be a bit unfair. Like a huge part of it is they get to learn from each other, but also have a bit of fun in the office. And then like after there's we work in the city centre of Edinburgh, right? So if you want to go out for food or drinks or whatever, it's amazing. Like I'm fortunate that I've been there for a while now that having a young family and stuff work from home really suits me just now Mm -hmm. but I couldn't imagine being 20 and being told that you have to work in your like dingy flat yeah um and and not go into the city where you really want to work Um, so I think everyone's just learning that right and it's kind of like it will suit people will just kind of almost design what suits them best yeah I think and and companies are probably going to have to work around that more than the other way around I don't know if that's I mean, you as somebody that will be hiring people, I mean, that that might be the case, right? That you kind of have to almost design the hiring process around individuals to an extent. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think there's been a lot of uh, adapting that has needed to be done as we talk to more people and as actually we get feedback from people within the company as well to see what's working and what isn't. And I think that's one of the benefits of, a company like TV squared, because they're not so big that they can't move quickly when they learn these things, because mm-hmm. we still want to attract the best talent. Um, it's just, uh, what can we offer to give them that space? And I think that kind of collaborative office space, when you're not dictating how often you need to be in there, but just having it be available is a really great example of listening to the people. Yeah. And, and yeah, need. asking people what they want is a good way of finding out as well, which sounds yeah. silly, but it's definitely not what <laughs> everyone does. And yeah, I think, a lot of our clients keep asking us like oh is everyone really struggling because google and facebook and microsoft and amazon are just hiring everyone everywhere and i was like well i mean yeah kind of but smaller companies can still move quicker and offer something more like you can be part of it a little bit more like joining like a huge company that doesn't have any presence in the country you're recruiting in is still going to be quite tricky like you'll never meet anyone potentially yeah, I think uh, there's there's pros and cons to everything, I think. And there's, you know, big companies that have their resources, but they also do have their downsides. So I think it's just about understanding where your strengths are and, and what it is you're trying to achieve. So, yeah, I don't think the Googles and the Facebooks of the world automatically win. <laughs> no, definitely not. I think yeah. If you can imagine, like, if Facebook did a staff survey about the remote working policy, the amount of time it would take to collate the answers, yeah. decide on the policy, and then implement it, like, TV Squared, it'll be, like, three years down the line. Like, you'll be a completely different business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas it would, take, it would take you guys, like, a kind of a board meeting, and that would be it. Yeah. That would be it, that would be it decided. So, yeah, that's kind of the whole point, isn't it? Yeah. Um, nice one. And then for... 2022 then is there anything in the works for tv squared in terms of 
is it just kind of really focus on the the product and what you're selling now and, and growing the team? Uh, yeah, so I have to say, I think the the remit of my team and even my role has actually evolved pretty dramatically over the past year or so, and I can only see that going uh, moving further in that direction. So before we were very much a data science team looking at new products, what can we do with the data to build the new products? And now that remit has really grown into be a much broader, almost strategic view of where else can we use data? What other department in the organization wants to use this data and how can we make it as easy as possible for them to make the decisions and use something with it? How can we enable marketing, let's say, to write use cases or case studies whenever they want? How can we get data-based thought leadership out into the market faster, sooner, better? And we are sitting on all this data that can do it. So how do we educate everybody else in terms of well, it's here. This is how you access it. These are best practices. How can we format it better, store it better, um, make it more accessible to everybody? So uh, thinking more along embedding data everywhere else <laughs> um, and not just in the product itself. It sounds like a fun challenge. Yes. Again, <laughs> using the right words to describe the situation. Uh, but yeah, really looking forward to it. Nice one. Well, thank you so much for joining. It was really good to have you on. Um, I've been keen to speak for ages and I'm glad we finally got to line it up. And it'll be cool to see how TV Squared are going. Um, we've got some plans for some more events in Edinburgh and Scotland, hopefully soon, um, because it's been so long. So I'll keep you posted with those as well, because I'd love to have you or someone from the team involved as well. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks for having me.